Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Photography Chat. We're uh, on to episode 35 of season 2, and we have uh, Liza on with us in here in a moment. Um, hope everyone's been having a good week. Um, staying out of the rain in Ontario. Um, where is it here? Perfect. Chat there. Hello. How's it going? Hey, I wasn't sure if I was working or not. Yeah, it looks like we're working here. Awesome. <laughs> How's your week been going? Uh-oh, buffering. Let's let's see if she comes back here. We're having some technical difficulties. Okay. Oh. Okay, let's try and get this working again. Sorry everyone, we'll get the Okay, there we go. Perfect, there we go. I think well, I got disconnected by accident. So. It happens, technology. It's just yeah. the worst. It's also my first time doing a live, so I don't know how any of this works. Um, it's kind of like a FaceTime, except people are watching. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's been kind of fun, though. So it's like um, there's um, people that will tune in and uh, hear us chat about uh, whatever we end up talking about, and in the chat window they'll they can ask us questions and uh yeah interact with us so awesome it's like an interactive podcast interesting <laughs> well i'm excited for it this is a unique opportunity i definitely wasn't expecting it when um visiting bc so it's awesome <laughs> yeah it was uh it was interesting running into you there if you don't mind yeah. um why don't you just take a, a moment just to uh introduce yourself to uh, to the folks there yeah, so hi everyone. Thank you for joining. Um, I'm Lisa. I have been a photographer for some time now. Um, I started off in high school just taking classes and I really fell in love with it. Originally, I'm coming from a visual arts background, so I used to draw and paint as a kid a lot. Um, yeah, and then in high school, got into photography. Eventually, um, university happened and I dropped photography and then maybe about two years ago I I think everyone was kind of jumping on that film wave and I decided to do it as well and I don't regret it one bit um, I happened to just purchase a film camera on a whim and ever since then I've been shooting film pretty much non-stop um, yeah and it's been an interesting journey it's been a weird kind of jump but it's a good one I think it's taught me a lot and I think it's definitely helped me develop a lot as a photographer and I'm excited to continue pursuing this hobby so it was a weird jump like how how in, in your mind was it a, kind of a weird jump so I think definitely coming from a couple of years of digital photography it was obviously weird not seeing the photo right away and it was 
the first camera that I purchased, it was a very old Yashica. It was like literally just called autofocus. Um, and I love that camera. I think it taught me a lot as a photographer and I was super sad when it broke on me. Oh. Like I actually cried that day because it was just so upsetting. Um, but just not seeing that photo right away when you're, you know, shooting, it was difficult to know what the images will look like. And definitely my first few rolls were kind of frustrating because it was pricey and it was still just me trying to figure it out if I like this or not. And it was like, oh, I love this one photo, but this other photo just looks so horrible. Or like, oh, I wish this photo, I wish I could fix it. I wish I could, you know, make it clear. And I just, the fact that I couldn't do anything, it was, it was frustrating. I would say the first few times that I shot and that was that weird kind of jump into it. Um, yeah, I would say that was probably the most difficult part of, for me. And how long ago was that? That was about two years ago. So I took a break from photography. So I used to shoot a lot in high school just because I took the class, the photography courses. So I was shooting on a daily basis pretty much or doing something photography related. And then in university, I just sort of stopped. I didn't, I didn't take any classes for photography. My university didn't really offer many options so I went to York for psychology and only in like my last year did I discover we even have a film lab and like we have any sort of courses really but I never took anything so I didn't shoot I just didn't have the time for it and I would take I take my camera on vacations but just I think it was like a lack of inspiration and not having those set projects given to you it was difficult for me to shoot, so I didn't pick up my camera for about three to four years. And then, yeah, just kind of, I think I saw a lot of people just buying film cameras and disposable cameras, and I'm like, I don't want a disposable one. So I ended up buying the Yashica for like 50 bucks and called it a day. And yeah. <laughs> and then, and then it's it been died. a it's been a switch to an F100 after that and some other cameras here and there, but the F100 has been my stable, stable one. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's kind of how all of this happened. Um, I noticed your F100 when you were in the yeah. parking lot, the Othello yeah. and um, well, we, we got to talking about that. It's a very distinct camera and one of my favorites, for sure. For sure. I'm... I purchased that one very last minute as well. I did some research on it, but I just loved how the photos looked from it. Like anything that I ever saw, I loved it. And it sort of met all my needs. I'm a very lazy film photographer. I still shoot on <laughs> auto, like, um, sorry, not on auto, on uh, aperture priority. So that had to be part of the camera. I. I shoot manual very rarely and I don't, I don't, I don't want to get shamed for it as a film photographer, but well, it's it not is what it is. A shame thing. Cause I think like anyone that shames someone for it's like, Oh, if you're not shooting manual and you're not a photographer, should just go get fucked. Like they're, yeah. that's kind of yeah. a dick thing to say. Like, yeah. Um, that being said, I completely shoot 
as lazy as possible all the time. Like if the F100 had an auto mode on it, I would use the auto mode. Yeah. Um, I kind of like the F80 for that. Or no, not the F80, the F75. Yeah. F75 has an auto mode, but the F80 is very similar to the F100. Um, and then the F100 is like a baby F5, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, and like why images look really good on the F100, um, it uses the same uh, matrix metering and it has the same autofocus uh, engine as the F5 does. So yeah. uh, it's a very cool camera to have. Yeah. I purchased it. It was actually before another trip to BC and I got it off. I remember just looking on Kijiji and like what my options would be for a film camera and because I've shot with Nikon before so I had the Nikon lenses I didn't want to go through the whole switch over which I still had to do but it just kind of worked out best for me and I remember it was like maybe two weeks prior to the trip and I was like I gotta get a camera like my Yashica broke I need this camera and I just read F100, and I was like, this is all I need. And it was like this crazy hunt for this camera. I was about to order it on eBay from Japan or something like that. But I just, like, I had to get it. And I think at 1 a.m. or something, I was going through Kijiji, and someone posted it. And I was like, oh, my God, I need your camera right now. Like, I'll buy it. And I bought it the next day. And the guy is actually a local photographer, and he's also super talented. Um I follow him on Instagram. He's traveled a lot and his photos, he does a lot of street people photography and it's absolutely fantastic. So it was nice knowing that it came from another photographer and not like just some, like a random person, but. You can give his Instagram a shout out if you want. That's totally cool. Um, I don't remember it off the top of my head now. Oh no. His name is Sydney though. Um, okay. Oh, I think. I think his Instagram is adgrain or something like that. Okay. So he's a local Toronto photographer. If you guys can check him out, he's awesome. <laughs> Let him know that uh, his camera is still alive and doing well. They're they're great cameras. Like it's um, yeah, that that one hundred is you, you can't go wrong with it. And I'm a little partial to the Nikon system just because like the lens ecosystem for it is so broad. And yeah. um, even though I only really ever shoot with a 50 mil, that's pretty much all I seem to shoot with. Yeah. When I shot, well, primarily because of traveling and stuff, like that's when I shoot the most on my digital camera. So my first ever camera was a D5100. And I still have it. I think it's an amazing, like, beginner's camera. Um, I'm very stupid. And when I was younger, I had the option. Um, the camera was given to me as a gift from my dad. And we came to the store, and he was like, do you want the D7000? Or do you want a D5100? And I was, he was like, just get the D7000. It's a little bit more expensive, but, you know, it's worth it. And I was like, no, 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 I'll just go for the cheaper option. And kind <laughs> of kick yourself about it now. Yeah, I regret it because the D seven thousand was a full frame camera. Okay. Versus the fifty one hundred, it wasn't. So. Oh, it, you mean the D seven hundred? Yeah, sorry, the D seven hundred. Yeah. So I fucked it up for myself completely because I could have just been getting full frame lenses this whole time, but decided not to do it but it is what it is i 
have my full frame lenses now, but I shot a lot with a 35 millimeter and I love that lens. Like I thought it was such a great versatile lens. Yeah, that 35 mil DX lens is a great one. Yeah, it unfortunately doesn't work on the F100. It leaves like a, just a straight yeah. circle. You get a vignette because it's, it's a crop lens. Yeah. Um, if you if you do decide to go down the digital route again with your full frame lenses, because I did the exact, I had the exact same thing happen to me as like, I used to shoot with a D300 and then I got into film and I got kind of pissed because when I would travel, I would bring like the digital kit and the film kit. So I'd have like digital body, digital lenses. Yeah. I got kind of tired of that, like hauling around double the gear. Um, the Nikon D610 is a really mm -hmm. full frame camera that you can find fairly inexpensively now if you want really? a full frame. You should be able to pick up like a decent D610 for like 600 to 800. Oh, yeah. that's pretty good. I've looked at that camera before and there was a point when I hit a point with my digital photography where I was like, do I go full frame or do I stay just crop frame? And because it was so expensive to go full frame and that was specifically the camera that I wanted, I didn't end up going that route. And I think that was also sort of the time when like my inspiration just went downhill. So <laughs> it was, um, yeah, I still ended up going full frame, but it is what it is. It's, uh, I got, yeah. I don't even know what I use now. I think my most common lens now with the, I have a 50 millimeter, but I don't shoot 50 millimeter often. Um, I think I use like 24, 70 or 24, 75 or 85. Oh, the uh, I don't know. It's the, I know there's an expensive version of that lens. I went with a cheaper mm. version of it. Um, I actually bought it from a really interesting gentleman who he shot a lot of like fashion shows or something like that. Like, I don't remember his name off the top of my head now, but I remember him telling me um, he's done like different fashion shows and traveled across the world. And I told him how my first camera was a Yashica. And I think he said like, Andy Warhol used to shoot Yashikas or something like that and he's like met all these people and I'm like wow it's it's an honor to have this lens from somebody like you that's cool yeah. that was one thing I do miss about Toronto is like the the people you'd meet when you're buying stuff um because I bought a lot of stuff off of Kijiji and like there were some like real weirdos but there was also some like really really interesting people yeah um, that I'm still friends with now um, from those experiences. For sure. Yeah, it's it's a hit or a miss there. Like I find any time I'm buying film equipment, it's always it's always a pretty good experience. I haven't had any bad experiences, thankfully. Um, but yeah, I think the film community is pretty big here. But at the same time, it's it's like a quiet but big community. Yeah, it is a much bigger community than what um, what we've got out here in, in BC. I, I kind of miss it a bit. Um, it also made it easier for selling things because um, selling stuff online here kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a bunch of stuff I want to sell, which I was like, fuck, I wish I sold it before I left Toronto because it would have been a lot easier. But hindsight, right? Yeah. <laughs>
I'm actually, I'm surprised by that because I would think that BC, just because of the views and everything, you have more people shooting film. Uh, I've ran into more digital shooters, for hmm. sure. Um, film's picking up a bit more. Lots of film shortages here, which has been um, sucky. It's hard to find any color film right now. Really? Yeah. It's That's like interesting. Color 35 mil, color Polaroid, like it's it's hard. Bofoto yeah. had like a healthy stock of color 120, but I think that's like mostly tapped out now. Oh. Um, I think I've stopped by their shop actually on that trip prior to like meeting you. I got a Minolta from them, like a just automatic regular Minolta. Oh, the um, AF1? I think it's just like Freedom Zoom okay. 105, something like that. I wanted something super basic because my biggest issue with the F100 is how heavy it is. And it starts off fine when you're just like carrying it around. And then like halfway through, especially when you're traveling, you, you just want to throw it out. Like there's been moments when I just wanted to throw it out or like leave it somewhere. So it's, it's chunky boy. It's it's a heavy one, and there are times when I do, to be honest, want to switch over to something more lightweight, but then it's also tough. If you want something that's a little bit lightweight but behaves basically identically to the F100, look for an F80. I've considered looking into those. I haven't found one in person, but maybe I should look into it. Yeah, because the F80 functionally is almost identical to the F100. It's just a yeah. plastic body instead of a metal body. So it's a yeah. lot lighter and it's a little smaller. But all your lenses will work with it just the same. Um, it, like if you're looking for something that's a little um, a little easier to travel with, the F80 is a great camera for that. Mm. Um, the only annoying thing is that it uses... Um, the CR123 battery, so you got to buy those like big, chunky, expensive batteries. Oh, yeah. Um, or you can find um, a, um, a a grip for it that uses AA batteries, and then it's it's pretty straightforward. But if you want it to be like light as possible, without the grip is um, is is the way to go. Um, Good to know. I'll check it out for sure. Is that no F eighty is not well? I don't know if they have different versions. They did. Oh, so actually, they, I don't know. N eighty would have been like the American version. Um, in Canada, it was the F eighty, and in Japan, it was the F eighty. Oh, okay, interesting. America gets some like weird models compared to to what we do. Interesting. But, I didn't know that. Yeah, the F eighty is a great camera, and you can usually find them fairly cheap like I used to have a real bad problem just buying cheap cameras off of Kijiji in Toronto because there's just so many of them and then I would yeah. just give them friends and stuff and so it's like I've probably bought like at least 40 or 50 F80s oh my god four years and I've just like given them away to people and um yeah there's um there's a dude there, like, if you're interested in one, there's there's a Kijiji dude I know of that I could text him and see if he's got any. He usually has them in stock, and they're, like, 80 to 100 bucks off of him. 
I'll let you know. I'm going to think it over. I've considered reselling my F100 and just upgrading to a better, like, version of the same thing. Um, just because my my viewfinder, the lens in it, it's shifted a bit. And it's uh, tilted, and I've taken it to downtown Cameron. I'm like, is this a problem? Like, can you guys repair this? And they just said, like, just leave it as is. Repairing it is going to cost you like 500 bucks. So, yeah, yeah. and that's about like to get another one is like 500 bucks too. And even with a janky, yeah. like, you can still pretty probably sell it for like a good chunk. And yeah, well, I got it for like 300 bucks, which was a pretty good deal, but it was a, a cra- year ago. I mean, yeah, because they're so expensive now probably go now i hate that like certain things just go up so much in value and it's like it was the exact same thing with film i was looking even when purchasing the minolta i was looking at just like a small easy to carry like point and shoot film camera and like people are selling them for like a hundred dollars now and i'm like okay interesting because back when i like two years ago when i got into photography there were like 30 bucks 20 bucks you could find the stuff for fairly cheap and now it's like 60 70 80 some cameras are going for so much and it's it's kind of surprising and a bit unfortunate it it is a little crazy like i mean i when i bought my f5 in Toronto in 20, I think it's like late 2017, early 2018. I got it for like 250 bucks. Oh, and wow. now they're like 600 and up. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, why? It's a $250 camera. It shouldn't be that much money. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're all expensive. And even like my F100s, like those, I, I keep seeing them like listed for like four or 500 bucks now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because yeah. no one. I know makes... buying things from Japan is good, so maybe if I find one from Japan for cheaper, maybe that's the way to go. Yeah. See, I. I have lots of friends that buy from Japan, and I know logically that makes the most sense. But I'm a very impatient person, so it's like if I want to buy something, I'm just like, I want to give someone the money and then like have it right then. So yeah. I try and track down that stuff like. I, I ended up buying a digital this week because I love my D610. It's a great camera, but I hate using it anywhere outside of a studio because it's just kind of, it's not that it's too big, but I just kind of find it a bit annoying. And a friend has been trying to convince me that the Fujifilm cameras are great cameras and mm-hmm. he's been trying to like sell me on them for like years now a couple of friends have been like you got to check these cameras out and I got stuck on wanting to get like an x-pro 2 and um they're really hard to find but they're a really cool looking camera I ended up finding like an x-t2 which is like almost identical to an x-pro 2 except it's not a rangefinder and I'm not um, too familiar with Fujifilm unfortunately I know I keep seeing ads and like videos on like instagram like people doing those reels where they shoot like a double exposure but it's a digital double exposure and that looks so cool and i've all like it's made me consider just getting that because it's not often that i get to shoot double exposure but i'm like just that alone makes me want to get it like that it looks awesome 
Yeah, like I if if you're thinking about it, try and track down like an XT2. Mm-hmm. It's really like for the, what you're saying with travel and stuff, it's so small and light. And the thing that's cool is you can get so many adapters for them. So you can get adapters. So like I've got one I've been messing around here where I can use like the Canon FD lenses with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got like a, a Nikon one coming. I'm going to try it with my Nikon lenses. And there's even like super hella cheap brand new lenses from China from like uh, TT Artisans and Paragear and stuff like that where you can get a 50 mil equivalent 1.2 lens for like 90 bucks brand new on Amazon. Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's manual focus, but like it's sharp as heck. Like I was playing around with one the other day and was really surprised by it. So it's just like... And we've been talking a lot about film, and maybe this is sacrilegious switchover, but um, I think I'm a convert to the Fuji side. I still love film and everything, but, like, my last bill from Downtown Camera when I mailed in a bunch of stuff to get developed made me cry a little bit. And yeah. I was like, there has to be something else I can try to, like, mess with. Yeah. And you That's... should be able to find them fairly cheap. Like, I picked this one up for, like, 600 and I've seen some of like ones around like 400, but I think like probably between like five and 700, you can find a decent XT2. That's not bad. I'll look into them. I've never, I've always stuck with Nikon and just like went through it. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why. I remember when I started photography, my teacher, um, she was an amazing woman um and i hope she's doing well to this day but she was a she was a strong canon believer so when i was buying my camera we had school like school cameras available i think there were just the 3000 or 3100 but i wanted my own camera to start off with because i knew i was going to continue shooting a lot and she was like oh buy this buy this canon buy that canon i'm like I don't know why I just went with Nikon and she always laughed at me for it. She was like, oh, you're going to regret it. And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't regret it to this day, but I think it's pretty much somewhat similar to some extent. It's just a matter of preference because I've tried Canons and there were certain, the way that certain things were set up, I'm like, this makes no sense. Yeah, that's my problem with Canons is the ergonomics on them are just hot garbage. They don't. Yeah. if you've been shooting Nikon for any time, like, it just makes sense. Like, it's so yeah. easy to use them. And exactly. Friends, Canons. I had a Canon for a while, and I hated it. It's, yeah. Not yeah. that it's functionally good. Like, it takes great pictures. But yeah. if it doesn't feel nice... Um, yeah, exactly. It's kind of annoying. And I, I think, like, being a Nikon person... I'm kind of liking the Fujis because it does have like this similar control dials to like oh, I the see, yeah. icons. Um, it's it's kind of like a weird mix of digital and film because it, like it also has like all of the controls up top for like shutter mm-hmm. and um, exposure control and ISO, yeah. and then you can control the uh, aperture off of the the lens here. So. It's if you want to go full auto and just be on easy street, it's easy for that. But if you want to fuck around and do some manual stuff, it's great for that too. Um, so yeah, I I would highly recommend checking one of these out because um, 
yeah, I I believe in the Fuji now. Even though I hate Fuji so so much, I um, begrudgingly enjoy this camera. <laughs> I I was a proud um, typical owner of a Fuji film Polaroid camera. The ones that like the little oh, the impacts. Yeah, those ones and. It did not last a long time, and it's funny because not too long ago, one of my friends was like, oh, I want to grab one for fun. And I'm like, no, you're buying a film camera. You have to get one. <laughs> like, I'm not letting you use this. I have nothing against those cameras, but it's just like, it's, yeah. <laughs> but they were looking into buying film, too, and I think, like, I don't know, the 10 pictures or whatever it was, they're, like, 12 bucks now. My friend was like, oh, my God, that's so expensive. And I'm like... Huh. Jokes on you. Every photo that I take and get developed is like a dollar twenty, like for film plus development and everything alone. That's so. fair, but there is something really magical about an instant photo. Being able to, That's in that true. moment, be able to hand someone um, that a photo from from that that moment and share that with them. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, like and I've said this so many times before, the Fuji Instax cameras are fucking garbage. Um, like, the, the film is beautiful. It's a beautiful film. Fuji created an amazing film and then made shit cameras for people to use it. Um, the SQ6 is a decent one, though. It's like a square, the square frame Instax. Yeah. SQ6 is, is actually surprisingly mm -hmm. a good camera. Um but they're like Instax wide cameras are all just fucking garbage. Um, the Neo 90, if you do Instax mini is, is a good one. Mm -hmm. um, and I like using the Lomography square camera a lot for Instax film. Um, it's a little, like it's more manual control with it because it's like a zone focus and you, mm -hmm. you have some extra control that you don't usually have with the, the Instax cameras. Uh, but it's got a glass lens, so it um, it it makes really nice images. So it's like if if you ever wanted to look into shooting the Instax medium again, there mm -hmm. are options out there from other companies. Yeah. Um, like Lomography makes them, uh, Mint makes makes some options. Like there's a few other camera companies mm -hmm. out there. So. I know at my work um, when I was cleaning, I found a couple. Polaroid cameras, like older ones, oh, and cool. unfortunately they're they're not giving them away or selling them. But I told them like if you guys are ever you know wanting to dispose of them, let me know because I would be interested in seeing how it works and just shooting that. I do love the concept of like getting that photo right then and there, and I think that's an interesting combination of film and digital photography almost because like you shoot and it's a film photo it's a physical photo but you get it right there um but yeah i don't definitely don't think i'm going back to instax after going the 35 millimeter way but the polaroid is great too so it's like i i have a insane obsession with with polaroid like um way too many polaroid cameras it's a cool medium the cameras have a much more interesting feel to them. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I will sort of caveat with that, that the film is still a work in progress of sorts. So like Instax kind of trumps um, Polaroid in, in reliability. And someone mentioned that in the comments, Chris mentioned that in the comments where it's Instax mm -hmm. has made a reliable film because they've been making the same film um, medium with, with Instax now for like, you know, over a decade kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Polaroid had to start over from scratch because um, Polaroid as we knew it when we were growing up, that company is defunct. It no longer exists anymore. Like it, it vanished in the early 2000s. And mm -hmm. so the Polaroid that we have today is um, the massive effort of a whole bunch of passionate people that wanted to try and save what was left. And they created like a Polaroid compatible film that works in the old Polaroid cameras. But um, and someone messaged me asking this question earlier today too, being like, you know, why is it that old Polaroid had 10 shots and new Polaroid only has eight shots? And it, it's mm -hmm. things where they had to start from scratch. And so even something as simple as like, they couldn't fit two more shots in the cartridge because the, the materials they could find to try and recreate the film were just a bit thicker. So it's like new Polaroid, you only get eight shots versus 10 shots. The reliability of it is um, hit or miss sometimes. Like, you know, this one turned out pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty mm -hmm. happy with that. But then, you know, sometimes you get um, aberrations in them where it's like you get these like funky mm -hmm. light fires in them and stuff. So um, if you go into playing with Polaroid not expecting perfection, then you're going to have a lot of fun with it because mm -hmm. like it's a really good artistic kind of like experience. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice like human experience when you're wanting to share moments with people and mm -hmm. you're wanting to like capture um, like time, time with people and like be able to be like, you know, here's a, here's a picture mm -hmm. from this, this moment we shared. Polaroid is great for that. Um, I, I just wouldn't expect something mm -hmm. like really great from it, from like mm -hmm. a, when you look at like a 35 mil shot and you're like, this is a fucking beautiful yeah. shot. You're not really going to get that, but you will you will get shots with Polaroid where you're like, this is an amazing shot, but it's going to be for completely different reasons that mm -hmm. you would towards a 35 mil shot. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I like the idea of it. I mean, if my work ever ends up giving up those Polaroids, I'll let you know they are the older ones. They're not the new ones. Okay. Um, are they like the box even... style ones that like lift yeah. up? Yeah, yeah. They have different versions. I think I found a total of like six of them or something, but I told them right away. I'm like, guys, don't throw these out. Like, even if I'm not working here, you need to contact me. You need to tell me you still have these cameras. Like, cause I like collecting cameras and I don't have a large collection or anything, but I thought those ones would be cool to have, or at least, you know, instead of having them thrown away, have them sold or just given to people that actually enjoy shooting Polaroid. So. You should have just been like, I found five of them. I don't, that was all I found. <laughs> uh, no one would have known. <laughs> we'll see. If no. they eventually end up going lost, I'll just I'll be like, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know where they went. Don't look on the internet. Don't do that. <laughs> just don't look on Kijiji. Yeah, exactly. That's really fair. Uh, um, Blessed Frames is curious. What is your favorite film stock? Um, 
like what film I I prefer the most. Yeah. Uh, so I shoot the most on Kodak Gold, and I have my. I think Kodak Gold. Some people shit on it too much. I love it. I think it's a, it's a great, cheap camera, cheap cheaper film. I guess. Um, and I just love the look of it. I love the warm tones that it gives. I love the grain that it gets. I really, really enjoy shooting on it. However, my favorite favorite has to be Portrait 800. Okay, why, why 800? I don't shoot on it often, and I've only ever shot maybe two rolls of Portrait. And because film has been just such an experimental thing for me, and the reason why I enjoy film more than digital is because I don't have... I don't want to say I don't have expectations of my shots or anything like that. I think I actually probably work harder to get a good shot. But the first time I shot Portra, I I just thought that you have to have the ISO at whatever the number is on the film. So I put it to 800 and shot a whole roll a lot darker than it should have been. Um, the pictures turned out great. And I think they made some of them came out really good. However, um, some of them were just like too dark and I was kind of like, oh, okay, I probably messed it up. Maybe I should look into how to shoot on this film more. Never looked into it. Um, during that trip to Vancouver, we ended up going to Tofino and I got a roll of Portra 800 from downtown camera. I'm like, I'm going to save this beautiful roll um, for Tofino, get some great photos and like after we finished uh, we were on our way from tofino back to vancouver and i was switching the rolls of film and i realized i never changed my iso and i shot a kodak gold before and because i thought that you had to match your iso to the number on the film i almost started crying because i thought i messed up a roll of portra and now i don't have any photos from tofino i apologize for that um sorry I am at work still and somebody's calling, but we're closed. <laughs> um, so I thought I messed up that roll of film and I was like, oh my God, I don't have photos now from Tofino. And I was so excited to see them. And I like, it's just going to be like phone photos, but I was like, you know what? Maybe it will turn out okay. So I Googled it. And turns out that you actually can shoot a whatever ISO like on a regular digital camera. And because I shot 200 ISO, the photos actually turned out amazing. And when I got that roll back, it was such a sigh of relief because I didn't fuck up an entire roll and just waste money into it. And I actually still have like the memories and photos because sometimes it's not about the roll for me. It's not about the cost of it. It's about the memories lost on that roll. And the photos that came out from it were so beautiful and it was very, very, I love that it's very fine grain. And honestly, Portra 800 on a good sunny day is like what you need to try because it just gets the color so beautifully. It gets, the, it is just amazing. <laughs> That's my, my best way to describe it. Um, 
probably my favorite photo from there. I have it posted on my account, and if you guys have a moment to check it out after, um, it's a photo from Tofino. It's like I don't want to say it's a lighthouse. It's like a little house on the water, but the colors from that photo were they're just so amazing and I love how they turned out so I think that was probably my favorite role and I I got another role from a friend as a gift so I'm excited to try to shoot it again now that I have better knowledge of it that's very cool yeah Yeah, the the portrait hunter is an interesting one because compared to the rest of the portrait family it's based off of um an older um cinema film stock so it's like Portrait 800, I believe, is like in the Vision 2 family. And then like Portrait 400 and Portrait 160 are, are part of a different family. So it's like 800 has some like interesting characteristics about it. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing ever really wrong with overexposing your film. Like even when I shoot Portrait 400, I usually shoot it at like 320 or like a bit lower just to like overexpose a little bit because it makes mm-hmm. the colors pop a bit more on mm-hmm. there. So yeah, you kind of found yeah. yourself feature. Yeah, I usually just naturally for whatever reason, I prefer some slight underexposure. And I think partially from digital, one of our teachers really kind of stressed that out because she was like, whenever you edit, you can always go lighter, but you can't or sorry, you yeah, you can always make a photo lighter, but you can't make a very overexposed photo go darker properly. So I think from that, I've always kind of underexposed. And because I never really like read up on film much and just, it's always an experiment for me every single time I put on a roll and start shooting. Um, with, With that, it was an interesting turnout, but I, I was definitely very like concerned and worried that like I just wasted a roll and 36 photos and I had nothing from it and it would be like all overexposed and yeah but it's it's an interesting film yeah I agree I've shot Portra 160 I've shot Portra 400 and they're not quite like the 800. Yeah the 800 has a, a different feel to it mostly because yeah. it's like it's from a different family. Um, if you like that, though, if you haven't tried it yet, um, treat yourself sometime and get a roll of the Cinestill 800 and then shoot it at 640. I do want to play around with that film. There's somebody that I follow on Instagram who shoots, I think, I want to say that's the only film that he ever shoots because all of the photos are taken at nighttime and they're taken around the city and, like, they're very, like, you know the blinding lights video by the weekend? Yeah. They're very like that bright night lights, like within the city, like Las Vegas, and it's very like just colorful. And they're great photos. They're very out of my, I guess, comfort zone, but I do want to try shooting with that film because I think the photos that come out from it are amazing. Even shooting, so like I, I shoot it during the day too and you get some like neat colors with it during during the day too as well so it's like um when you do get yourself a roll and you go to play with it um don't feel too limited with uh with what you can do with it and like i've shot that down to 400 and um you know that um 
Oh, Blinding Lights was shot on Kodak film too. Uh, that that's this oh, is uh, cool. Matt from Kodak. Thank you, Matt, for chiming in there. If you have any Kodak questions, Matt can get you answers for sure. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> I didn't know um, that. That's really cool. I love, I love the video from there and just I guess that era of the weekend's music and um, even his new song like "Take My Breath Away." I'm like, oh my god, this is so amazing. It's very like. 70s 80s vibe but yeah good to know that was shot on Kodak though yeah lots of great things and one like even Sinistil is is basically a Kodak film as well too because yeah. Vision 3 500 that they removed the Remjet off of um, so that it can be processed C41 mm -hmm. and then the 50D yeah. is a really cool one too um now that we're getting into like, well, you could probably still shoot it pretty okay in the fall, but I, I wouldn't really use it too much in the winter, but like it's a 50 ISO film that's daylight balanced and it's really nice for like taking like portraits when you have like lots of light outside. It's a really mm -hmm. beautiful film for that. Mm -hmm. um, it would have been probably kind of cool for the tunnels for like when you get through parts of the tunnels where all the light is kind of coming. Yeah. The you wouldn't be able to get some cool shots in there. Yeah. I don't do portrait and people photography that often I don't know why it was never never my cup of tea That's um, <laughs> as much as I've tried I just couldn't get into it it was always nature but I do sometimes if I am in the mood you'll be lucky to get like an amazing portrait of yourself and then I'm gonna try to like force you into using it virtually everywhere <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that yeah but, I, I always appreciate when friends do like my profile picture right now is a, a film shot that a friend took of me in texas a couple of years ago yeah i i try to get my friends to get some photos of me and on film i'm very like particular with it i'm like you have to wait and only when i say go then can you press the shutter like you will not touch the camera you will not touch any single button on it because they don't shoot film or anything yeah um so i'm like as I give it to you, don't 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 do anything with it. But so far, I've gotten some good photos out of it, surprisingly. So I'm happy with that, and they get some nice profile photos and whatnot. Summer J has a question for you. Um, they'd like to know what kind of film would you never shoot again? Um, interesting question. I want to say, now I don't remember which one this was. I shot a roll of Ilford. It was a black and white film. I don't know if it was 400 or another ISO, but I don't remember off the top of my head now, but there was definitely one black and white roll that I would just not shoot again. It came out very blurry and the photos were very like, it was just too grainy for my liking. <laughs> it was XP2400, wasn't it? Maybe. And now that I think of it, I'm pretty sure I bought another roll of it or like somehow got it. But yeah, there was one roll that I just did not enjoy. I think another film that I don't think is worth the money is the Portra 160. But I don't know. I don't, I don't think that... I don't know. Maybe I didn't like how the photos turned out from it. I do love Kodak Gold for that very specific, like, 
warm vacation photos and happy memories and sunshine kind of vibe. And even when you're shooting in the winter, any time of the year, you can shoot anything with it. I think it's such a versatile film, but I think for the money, like I just, when I shot the portrait 160, when I got the photos back, I was kind of like, eh, I, I wouldn't buy this again. That's fair. Um, Matt, do you have any defense on portrait 160 there? <laughs> well, he's conjuring an answer if, if he is. Um, I'm going to defend XP2 just a little tiny bit. It is grainy as fuck, super grainy, but it's a really interesting film because it's one of the few, maybe the only one left out there that is a black and white film that can be processed um, with C41. And mm. so XP2 is a really interesting film and I'd say like maybe even an important film for people that are interested in getting into film photography that may not have access to like a really good lab where, like, maybe they're using, like, a London Drugs or, like, a Walmart or something like that to get their film processed, mm-hmm. but they want to play around with black and white film, um, they could use something like an XP2 to be able to take black and white shots and then just drop that off at, like, a generic lab that only does C41. Um, it is grainy as heck, though, and so it's, like, if you yeah. don't like grain, that's not really the film for you. I, I kind of love grain, so, it's like... I have big... no problem with grain, the reason why I didn't like that specific role. So I shot it. It was during the last trip that my friends and I took to Vancouver. And it was last September. And it was at the time, it was very cloudy and kind of like foggy and rainy. And it was also when the smoke from California was there. So it wasn't too bad. But literally every single photo, I think just the like all of those factors they just made it like extra grainy and things came out Mm. blurry and like it just didn't work for me maybe in a different environment it would work better i'm pretty sure i ended up buying another roll of it just because i didn't realize that was the film that i didn't like so i'll have to try it again eventually but i do love black and white film um but i don't think that one was it it's not for everybody. And, and yeah. Matt came up with so he's like, uh, you shoot whatever you like. He knows people that shoot only 160, but it's great that we have choices. I agree it? with that. And I would agree with that completely too. Yeah. Like that, that's the one thing that's like so cool about film is that there's just so many choices right now. Like for sure. Not from Kodak, but like, you know, sometimes Fuji decides to make film and then you've got Lomography that's making all sorts of like really great cool stuff right now. Someone had mentioned a um a Lomography eight hundred there. Yeah, um, I saw. If you haven't tried that yet, next time you're downtown camera picks them up, they have some in stock and they usually don't have it in stock very often. So mm-hmm. uh, grab a couple rolls of that and play with it. It that's a great film too. Um, and like Lomography is always coming up with like really interesting films as well too. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Metropolis film is a lot of fun. Um, Purple is a cool film. They have lots of great black and whites. Um, yeah, so many different film options out there that it's, it's nice to have that sort of choice. Yeah, I think it's nice because I find in the film community, I think people are a lot nicer and people are just a lot it's a it's a less stressful community than it is in digital i find but 
it's nice because a lot of people's work like as I started this account recently I'm starting to follow more and more um, film photographers it's nice to see that no one really has the exact same thing like nobody shoots in the exact same manner everybody has their own almost style of photos and even if the photos are not of the exact same subject or similar subject matter it's nice to see that there there's not a lot of people that repeat the exact same photos and it's nice to see that variety yeah it's the film community is a very cool community and i can't wait for covid to pipe down so that we could travel freely again because um the film community in the u.s is is really cool too like there's lots of awesome events that happen down there and um even things like if you ever get the chance and you want to like have a really cool experience Mm -hmm. um every once in a while kodak offers tours of the kodak factory and that leads those tours and um it is some of the best money you'll probably spend to just sort of see where film comes from and learn all the stuff and you get For like sure. some free film and you get to like have lunch there but just um you know i i went there in 2019 and i'm still like sort of unpacking what i saw that day and it it's a mm-hmm. hell of an experience and so it's like and then you get to meet lots of like really interesting film people as well too because you know it's usually film nerds that are ponying up for money sure. to go wander around the Kodak factory for a day. Um, really, no, not wander, more like frantically rush from place to place because it's like a huge, huge campus. So like um, Matt drove us around in like a, a little like Kodak short bus and like we went from like building to building and checked out stuff and mm-hmm. a very cool, cool experience. Awesome. Thank you for telling me about that. I'll add it to my list. I'd love I love getting those sort of sorts of experiences and as much as I don't enjoy usually tours and I'm very like whenever I travel I'm a I'm big on having my own itinerary and not taking like your typical tour bus all over the place but I know there's definitely some really cool like tours that are smaller and more low-key whether it's like for museums or anything like that but um, that's awesome I'll add it to the list. Um, it well, it it's neat too, cause like you as you're wandering around the different places, like the the engineers and the technicians and the people that like work on the film and make the film, they're there, cause it's like just it's a regular work yeah. day, um, and you get to ask them questions about stuff, and so it's like that's something that you typically don't get to do on like a regular tour is like be able to pick the brain of like someone that made the film that you're using. And so yeah. if you have any questions about like, you know, the, the film sucks to enjoy or like, you know, how it all works. Um, it's a, an amazing opportunity to be able to like pick those people's brain and I, they'll share with you what they can. Like there's some trade secrets that they can't share, but yeah. um, it was it was a very cool experience. Interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, my I would love to visit Japan one day. And I know they have a huge film community, even though it's apparently super expensive to get film there. But I think developing it is cheap, but there's a lot of cameras and stuff available. So 
it would be interesting to see things there and obviously shoot there. But I'll add the Kodak factory to my list. That's not something I've heard of, but definitely an interesting experience. That's very cool. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to Japan too. Like I've heard amazing things of like the film community there. Um, like Japan and Hong Kong are like two bucket list places for, yeah. for film events. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. My goal was to travel um, after graduating university. That was supposed to be my uh, gift to myself to just travel to Japan, but unfortunately, it didn't work out, but hopefully eventually soon sometime. We'll see. But it is Once what the it world is. up again. Yeah. Yeah. But Where else would you like to travel to and, and take pictures? Um, I think New Zealand is definitely on the bucket list. I've seen some amazing photos from there and it just it's usually through other photographers that I find certain locations and I'm like, Oh, I'd love to go there, I'd love to go here. Um, Alberta's on the list. I would definitely love to see the Rockies in, <laughs> I guess, better, up, more up close. Um, I love BC a lot and definitely will be returning there quite often. Um, trying to think of where else. Morocco is definitely a place where I would love to shoot. I think it has a very interesting environment and atmosphere and i'd love to just visit there and see how it is greece um italy as well i have i'm an ancient history nerd so i'd love to visit those places um yeah <laughs> lots and lots of places on my bucket list to travel to i'd love to go back home to russia and hopefully when the opportunity presents itself, I'd love to actually shoot film there um, and just travel more around there because never really had the chance to do that. Is that where you're originally from, Russia? Or? Yeah, I was born there and we moved um, We moved here when I was around eight years old. Okay. So it would be interesting to go back there and just visit more places and get to shoot film there because there's a... I don't remember his last name now. There's a photographer that did a series on Siberia, which is where I'm from. And I'd love to actually purchase his book and see the photos from it because it's interesting to me how he views it and what he got to see. But he has a wonderful series of just traveling through Siberia and like just shooting things and how life is there. So, yeah, I'd hope to do that one day. But yeah. <laughs> My travel bucket list is very long, and I'll travel virtually anywhere. One of my favorite cameras is a Russian camera. Oh, really? Which yeah. One? It's um, the Zorky S. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm so it's, surprised uh, whenever I see those for sale, because it's like, how are you going to find parts or anything for them? They're... There's a pretty healthy community uh, to fix it, because, like, they're just mechanical cameras like there's not a lot mm -hmm. uh, that can that can go wrong with them really so they're probably more fixable than like things like the f100 and stuff like that is yeah. um which seems a bit counterintuitive um but oh just a sec here sorry no worries. 
Thank you. Sorry about that. No worries. It was a pure later package. It's a very aggressive knock. <laughs> um, yeah, they're they're cool. Like it's it's basically a ripoff of a Leica three. Um, yeah. Like they like gratuitously ripped off the camera and the lens. And um, if you come across one, like definitely worth checking out because they're a lot of fun to mm -hmm. um, to play with and easy to shoot and mm -hmm. I think you can find them for like 100 150 bucks with a lens yeah yeah I've, I've seen those for sale around but I don't know never got around to purchasing it but I recently found out um so my great-grandfather he actually used to shoot film and um he was he was a captain and he would travel across Russia. So he went to Japan, he went to Germany, and he used to bring film cameras across and he used to shoot film. And um, when my dad used to visit him, he remembers him like seeing him take photos here and there. Um, and we recently found out that actually some of the cameras are still available and they're still left somewhere in the house. So, oh, wild. Yeah, um, I'm hoping they're in Latvia because that's where he lived. Um, that's where he passed away. But yeah, my um, my dad's cousin suddenly found them and she was like, oh my God, we have the cameras. Like, we'll save them for Lisa when she visits. So I'm excited to find out what he shot and what he used and just see what the equipment was like there. But yeah, I definitely, I guess eventually the collection will grow of my cameras and I'll try out different ones, but yeah. That's exciting. Have you had a chance to see any of his work yet or not? Um, I've seen some just photos, but it was like of my dad and his brother, so it wasn't anything. I don't know how much of it is left, to be honest, and what's even available there, but I think they just kind of have everything in a box and just left it be, but um, I'd love to come across it sometime when I visit and just get to check everything out and hopefully maybe some of it is functional, maybe try shooting on it. I think that would be a really awesome opportunity for me. It, it's cool to be able to use, like, you know, potentially have access to that old stuff, like ARBs. Yeah. Um, just mentioned here that's a dope yeah. i came across someone who inherited their grandpa's cam too and their feed features modern day shots using it oh that's and awesome it, it's neat being able to to use like those old cameras like this one here um this camera was my mom's she got it um two years before i was born and like mm -hmm. all my childhood photos and everything were like shot with this camera and I still put film through it every once in a while and it's it's cool to be able to like use something that's mm -hmm. like been around for so long yeah we have somewhere at home as well um in my hometown I think my parents film camera all they know is it's an Olympus and that's it um but we have that somewhere as well and i think my grandma has it saved for me so when i visit i have a lot of film photography and equipment to pick up on my way back well, that's exciting you're gonna have to bring an extra bag yeah yeah extra suitcase just for all the equipment but 
I'm looking forward to seeing it all. It's nice to get all that stuff. And yeah, like having your parents' cameras, it's cool because like it's older than you. Your childhood was shot with that camera. And yeah. It's an interesting experience, I guess, somewhat historic as well. But what's, I was going to ask, what's your favorite camera to shoot with? My favorite camera to shoot film with. Film one. Um, my F5 is is probably the one that I shoot with the most. Mm -hmm. um, I've been, a friend loaned me his Leica M3, and I've been putting a lot of film through that. I really have been enjoying that. And, you know, it's, it's fun to have the Leica experience, even though mm -hmm. like, I can't afford it myself. Um, but I think my most favorite camera to shoot it would be a toss-up between my Wista 4x5 or the Polaroid SX70. I kind of like both of those just as much. Um, the 4x5 is a very different kind of like shooting experience because like you can't just like point it at something and focus and click like it's you got to do a lot more work to take a picture with it. So um, it's more deliberate for sure. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun though. What's um what's something that you've always wanted to try that you haven't had a chance to do yet with with your practice? Um I wanna say double exposure, as cliche as that sounds. I've accidentally shot one roll of double exposure, um, but only got a couple photos of it. And some of them are cool, but some of them were like, most of them just weren't really anything special. But I think I'd love to try a good double exposure, but I feel like I plan a lot in my photography as well, because I want to make sure I get the best photos. Because like, when that bill comes from downtown camera, I want to make sure I'm paying for something that's worth it. Um, so I think I'd love to try that. I think I'd love to just try out new films and maybe learn more about photography. I find that there's times when I kind of fall back and just like constantly shoot and I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't really care how this turns out, how that photo turns out. There's moments when I think I want to be more present when shooting and really putting in more of that effort to really get that best shot. And that's why I like my Yashica camera because the shutter was kind of broken. So I'd have to stand like super still when shooting and like really prop anything possible to get that good shot just because it would come out very blurry if I didn't. And I think with the F100s kind of put me back to that like easy shooting so I think I want to try focusing more on the work and I guess being more present whenever shooting but yeah just trying out different films different exposures learning more about like underexposure and overexposure things like that I'm still fairly new to it so if, if people have tips on what to try out I'm always open to it well if you want to do multiple exposures the f100 is a fantastic camera for that because it does have a multi-exposure mode on it. Really? Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah, it's one of the drive modes. Um, it's 
Yeah, so it's it's in one of the drive modes. This one. Oh. That will do multiple exposures. I'm gonna have to so. read more about that. Yeah, so it's like you just you push the uh, button just above the dial, and then mm -hmm. this is where you can like change the drive mode yeah. from single continuous. But that one there, that's multiple exposure, so it'll fire once, and then it won't advance the film. It'll let you fire again, and then it'll advance the film. Oh my gosh, that's interesting. Yeah. I had no idea about that. Yeah, so you you've got a multiple exposure making oh, machine so. right there. Oh, nice. I'm going to try that out now. I have to set up set aside a role for that. I like those accidental double exposures where the photos are very different but they work together. I ended up from that one role where I just put it through um twice. I ended up getting some photos of like flowers and a sunset and the colors just look really interesting. And then um, one of the photos was just like a street photo. I think it was one of the sample photos when I got that camera first. I just took a photo of like a building and then I got uh, flowers from my mom's garden over it. And it was just like a really interesting contrast. That's cool. But... I definitely want to try that double exposure thing now. Yeah, well, and the thing that's cool with it is you can mix and match it, too. So um, you can have, like, regular shots, and then you can do some double exposure yeah. shots on the same roll. So exactly. you don't have to dedicate a roll to it. Yeah, because I was thinking of, like, I was thinking of how I would organize that because I saw somebody, the double exposure of mountains, and it looked really, really cool. And it was just mountains over mountains, but it was like the layers of mountains that were amazing. And I was like, oh, I have to get like a third camera now to carry with me to just like shoot that double exposure. And obviously when you're hiking or traveling, you don't want to be carrying all that, but. Yeah, it's a bit too much to carry. Yeah. That's cool though. Thank you for telling me about that. Are no there... problem. Sure. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah. They're cool cameras. Like, it's, I really love yeah. the F1. I feel like I haven't had a moment to really, like, sit down and go through everything that it has to offer, which kind of sucks because I know the camera has a lot to offer, but definitely feel like I need to take a moment to just learn more about it. But, yeah, I would say that would be my, my thing of wanting to tr just be more present and shoot a little bit differently for film. Yeah. There's so much that you could do with with this guy. Um I don't even fully know everything that it does, but um you can't go wrong. Um I can't remember if the F eighty does multiple exposure I think it does multiple exposures too. Um and then on the Fuji thing, um one thing that's cool with the Fuji um, any of their X Pro, like their their X series films, or X series digital cameras, and maybe their other, I I can't remember, but at least with like the XT2 and the X Pros and stuff like that, you can put film recipes in there, and there's people oh. out there that are making um, emulation recipes where you can like shoot Kodak Gold or you can shoot Portra 800, 
and and stuff like that on the digital and it mimics that that film look off of it so interesting um, that's one thing that that seemed kind of cool that's really interesting yeah hmm. i guess for like somebody that's like a purist it's somewhat like of Sacrilege. a backwards or like tainting the film industry or whatnot or tainting the digital but that's interesting I think it's I, a cool like best of both worlds I would agree like you know especially after the last bill that I got from downtown camera I was just like I love film but um oh man that made my wallet hurt yeah yeah that's why I wanted to get into trying out developing for myself as well but um, maybe I'll try out that lab that you recommended first to see how that goes. Developing is pretty cool. Um, like I, I haven't tried color yet. I've heard a lot of people say color is easier. Um, I've just personally been kind of intimidated by it, but black and white's super easy. Um, the only thing that I don't like about doing my own development is that I have to do my own scanning and I really fucking hate scanning. Um, so that's what's kind of dissuaded me from doing more of my own processing. Mm -hmm. Um, when I could do printing though, like, cause I would shoot a bunch of stuff and then I would just print it in the dark room. I didn't mind doing developing then because like the negs were just going straight into, um, the dark room. So mm -hmm. I didn't have to really worry about scanning cause, um, I would be getting like prints out of it. So I think it was, I was telling you about gallery 44. That's, that's, I think uh, so. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely a, a cool place. I would highly recommend checking out the website and when, when things start opening up again, um, you know, it's a cool place. Cause like they have all the stuff there to do mm -hmm. the development. Um, using the developing area is just free as part of the membership. Like you don't have to pay anything extra for that. But if you want to mm -hmm. go do printing, um, you could rent dark rooms out. They have a really nice Imacon scanner there that you could rent out. So you could scan the negs that you've done there. Mm -hmm. um, they have a studio you can rent out. So if you want to get into like, you know, playing around with studio shooting, there's like a whole studio space there and lighting equipment that you could rent out. Mm -hmm. um, they also have like really cool equipment rentals as well too. So like if there's like lenses you wanted to try out or if you wanted to try out like a different camera, um, they have like a bit of everything there, like 35 mil cameras, medium format cameras, um, four by five cameras as well that you could rent out and mm -hmm. all the rental prices are really reasonable. Awesome. Yeah. I got to look into that because I feel like I haven't fully immersed myself in the film world and everything that it has to give and at times it definitely becomes overwhelming because I'm like oh people know all this stuff about like processing or about equipment and I'm like I have no idea <laughs> baby steps you'll get there yeah yeah it takes time it's, it's tough when you have multiple hobbies it's, it's it's tough to give your all to everything and then everything just becomes expensive so That's yeah <laughs> Can you, can you like blend any of your hobbies into film or are they all very distinct hobbies? Um, so I'm so, to an extent, so I guess traveling like that goes very hand in hand with photography. Um, I enjoy just automotive 
things overall. Um, okay. And I attend quite a bit of like automotive events. Um, like what kind of automotive stuff? Just so far I've attended primarily like shows and track days, things like that. Um, and those are fun and photography definitely goes hand in hand with that because I do get the opportunity to shoot some cool cars and get some photos um, of just people being like doing things around the track. So it's, it's nice. I do enjoy it. Um, lately, I haven't been bringing my camera around as much just because, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Keep forgetting it. But here and there goes hand in hand. and It's nice to shoot that stuff as well. So in a past life, I, I used to be a bit more of a petrol head and um, worked in mobile electronics for, for a while. So I, I do enjoy cars a lot. What's your, what's your favorite kind of car? I'm a huge GTR nerd, like Nissan GTRs. <laughs> I nice. absolutely love them. And I think they're like pinnacle of automotive technology. Like their, the newer GTRs or like the old school ones? The old school ones. I think for their time, they're like a huge peak of that. Um, I love Porsches like love 911s um very grateful that my family owns one and i have the opportunity to drive it and enjoy it um but yeah i think the gtr is definitely a dream car and fingers crossed one day <laughs> they're they've skyrocketed in price oh god like it's crazy it's it's awful how much they cost now and like everything there's drift tax there's just so many things where like cars that were like two three grand like a year ago they're like seven to ten grand now and it's just it's kind of i want to say it's unfortunate because a lot of people just take advantage of it and just raise prices even more but yeah it is it is what it is it makes you work harder but <laughs> it's also tough now because years a couple of years ago i think when i really fell in love with gtrs i really wanted an r32 and at the time they were like 26 grand for like a good good one and there was one that went up for sale and i truly wish that i just convinced my parents at the time to like buy it and i would have just paid it off because it was an amazing sample and it was only 26000 and it had, like, rare parts, and it was just an amazing shape. And now, if someone were to sell it, it would probably be, like, sixty grand. It's crazy how much they shot up. Like, yeah. it's just wild. Like, I remember when they first started importing them, when um, they got to the age that they could start being shipped yeah. in from Japan. And they were, like, hella cheap then. Like, I was hearing dudes, like, getting them into Canada for, like, 12 15 grand um even less than that yeah like they were super super cheap and it was kind of fun like doing the the right like driving on on the right hand side was kind of neat it was weird though yeah um shifting with with my left hand instead of the right because like yeah it just my skin wasn't really geared for that but yeah they were gtrs are very cool yeah the first car i ever learned how to drive manual on I still never got enough practice to successfully drive manual, but the first car was actually my friend's GT GTT or GTST R34. So I started learning 
like right hand drive well I guess left hand shifting yeah so it was a weird experience but and I, I think because I didn't know how to do it before it was like fine but it took me like two years later to realize like oh I this is what I drove and I drove right hand drive and all this stuff that's very cool yeah what about you what's your favorite like all-time favorite vehicle oh man that's that's a tough one because um there's just so many rad cars out there um i like the subtle cars that are kind of insane so like one of my favorites is like um the mercedes amg e55 wagon those are awesome they're like they're so crazy awesome because like you know it just looks like a family wagon yeah that can rip your face off because it's just absolutely mental yeah um and i just love that like the v8 burble when you like start them up and it's got that like it doesn't sound like a normal mercedes and then yeah driving around normally like it's pretty tame but then when you when you open it up it's just like a like a hell beast um yeah the s600 mercedes i've heard i don't know if you've ever heard one of those in person it's just it's it's amazing it's like it's an orgasmic sound it truly sounds like a formula one car when it just pulls away it's it's insane yeah i I had a customer back in the day that had one and um they were neat to drive too because it was such a huge car but it handled so well and it has it had the active uh, seat bolstering so when you were going hard into a corner it would like inflate the seat so it would keep you upright like it was like hugging you the whole time when you're driving it um that was a cool car to to rip around in um one of my favorites though and and i got to kind of have one for like um six months um was uh it was a 2008 jaguar xjr supercharged black on black and a friend of mine he bought it um a week after he came to my wedding in victoria and um he's a funny cat he owned this car for so long but he never really had it that often it spent most of its time in victoria because he dropped it off at the dealership and then just kind of forget about it because he had so many other cars mm-hmm. um and then he messaged me one day and he's like i think i'm gonna go pick up the jag because i kind of miss it you know you want to do lunch when i come through come through Kamloops and um I was like, yeah, totally. And then he sends me a picture of the Jaguar on a flat deck. And I was like, oh, shit, what happened to the Jaguar? He's like, nothing. She runs just fine. But apparently the cops don't like it when you're doing 180 through a 90. So he's like, "Uh, I need a place to stay. And the car is going to car jail tonight. (laughs) And so he got it for, I think, like 14 days. And he had to fly home. And um, he never picked it up again. Like, he was just like, hey, can I, I'll send you some money. Can you go pick it up from car jail and just, like, keep it at your house? He's like, it's insured. Just drive it around like it's yours. And it was at my house for, like, six, seven months. And I ended up selling it in my driveway for him. Like, some dude came up from Surrey and, like, bought it from my driveway from him. But um, that car had, like, the engine on that 
was such a cool sounding engine and um i was dating this girl at the time who was sort of like a very sort of new age hippie-ish um chinese medicine doctor mm-hmm. and um she really didn't understand car stuff like she thought like i i picked her up for, to go for dinner one night in this car and she kind of rolled her eyes when she saw it I was like oh like fuck is this shit and she lived sort of out of town so i had to hit the highway to go back into mm-hmm. in town for dinner and i i was on a merge and i opened it up for the merge and it just kind of like took off and she she was making this like purring noise <laughs> and i was like are you okay she's like i don't know what happened but something happened and um i think i understand cars now <laughs> she's like can you do that again can you, can you do that thing where it rumbles and makes the noise <laughs> well i'm glad that she at least enjoyed it it was kind of funny but yeah like the i i love those old jags and um yeah i i love the old manual cars too like um like an old like the really old boxy jettas i i know they, some, for, yeah. for a while in like the 80s they made like a two-door super boxy jetta yeah really cool um and then old volvos like i'm i'm a real volvo head um so it's like i've got a 78 242 um like two-door volvo that i'm planning on rebuilding at some point um but yeah i kind of like all those old cars yeah i think for me i definitely grew up more around european cars so like mercedes and bmw were more primary there um eventually with things just kind of went into the Japanese side of it and just I don't think I could go back um yeah and just love them so much specifically like the older Japanese cars um however we my family picked up a 911 like a 997.2 I want to say last year we got it yeah and I remember sitting into it and I was like, hmm, I wonder if like this will live up to the dream and it just surpasses it. Um, yeah, so if, if anyone has a chance to drive a 911, it's it's definitely, I think, worth the hype. I don't know about the newer ones and I think it's obviously different by model, but it's it's an enjoyable car to say the least, whether you're just cruising or whether you really want to enjoy it. It's it's that good all-around car so i get why the porsche brand is is so loved and enjoyed by people you know they they are great cars they handle amazingly and they have like a really good power distribution on them um like they're they're definitely wild but the old euro cars are cool too like i mean i i have a real soft spot for like the mid 90s s500 and x600 those, those like big chonky like you know russian mafia looking kind of cars like i love those ones yeah <laughs> me um, too yeah they just look so badass yeah um like I, I hope to own one one day i feel like i i, I have to do it 
yeah you have to like get it bagged so you could just like you know drop it when you get to places and yeah. um the 95 545i was like a dream car for me uh for the longest time like i wanted to have like a black on black 545i for the longest time um yeah and then gavin here mentioned the 80s audi five cylinder turbos and the audi quattros audis are pretty cool too i dig the quattros i kind of always wanted a quattro 90 it was like the two-door one from like the 90s um but i've got a v70 volvo right now all-wheel drive wagon that has the five cylinder and um something about five cylinder turbos they sound pretty freaking badass they are you can imagine a lot of fun. yeah and i'm not too fun. familiar with audis um but i we actually saw the new what is it rs6 the new wagon that came out oh, saw that in a... vancouver and my friend and i were like freaking out on the street we were like going crazy about it because i've i think i've seen one in toronto by now but at that time in the summer, I haven't seen one. And we were like, oh, my God, this looks amazing. It's such a well-built and beautiful-looking car. Yeah, the, the Audis are so nice. Like, the, um, I always really wanted, like, a, a mid-'90s S4 for the longest time. Like, before they made them smaller and boxy, like, when they were still or smaller and rounded, like, when they mm -hmm. were more, like, longer and boxy. And the old S8, like the um, late 90s S8 was a really, really cool um, one. But the new RS6, that's that's cool. I got to drive an RS4 once, and that was a hell of an experience. Like that thing was just like a fucking rocket ship. They are very cool cars. Like, um, yeah. Sorry for like departing from photography a little bit there. <laughs> I feel like, like everyone in the chat is still enjoying it, though. <laughs> well, and so, like, that's one thing that has been interesting that I found in, in the photography world is that if there's, like, a vein diagram, you could have, like, these different things. And some of the commonalities I've noticed is a lot of photography people end up being car people, um, watch people, or really heavy into music. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I agree with that. I I don't think I've met that many film people, but anybody that I do know definitely falls into one of those categories. Yeah, as Waste of Silver here says, photography is mechanical, cars, watches, etc. Yeah. And Dave says gear snobs for life. Yeah. It's true though. Yeah. Like it, it's fun and like I mean I can't take apart any of my cameras and work on them I, I mean I could try but I'd probably break them more than I'd fix them yeah. but I could work on my car a little bit which is kind of nice I yeah. don't really worry about that as much yeah that's true yeah I could I could see that I'd be too scared to take apart my phone camera because I have no idea where anything goes but car wise is like here and there if I can find a YouTube video on it and it seems easy enough then like I'll give it a shot, but if they say it's like a 10 minute job, I know it's like two hours for me. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's its own thing. But yeah, it's interesting to see like for other people. I think anybody that I've seen in the community, definitely travel is another big hobby. 
and a big Travel. factor for a lot of people. Yeah, but there's some talented uh, film car photographers that I've been finding, and it's nice to see that people are still shooting and finding cool cars to shoot with it. Yeah, and especially shooting them on Sinistil 800. Oh, vinyl, that's a great one, too. Lots lots of vinyl heads in the photography world. Yeah. I'm a little sad right now because, like, you can usually on that thing under the mirror is a turntable, but um, I broke it on my move. So it's at the oh. doctor's right now getting fixed so I can listen to records again. Oh, hopefully it gets fixed soon. Hopefully you get it back. Yeah, I hope so. I tried to fix it myself, and I think I made it worse. So I was just like, it needs professional help now. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I never, I know a friend of mine, I got him, we did like a shared uh, birthday gift, and we got him a vinyl, and like the, I guess the record player. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've considered getting one, but I feel like the space aspect for it is just doesn't work for me that's fair yeah. well if you're gonna get into vinyl don't for the love of anything gods if you're into that satan whatever don't buy any of those fucking crosley piece of shit urban outfitters oh, God, no. just don't do that oh. don't like, there's nothing more painful than like seeing someone bring out like a really nice piece of vinyl and then put it into one of those music shredders. It's just, don't do that. Like go and um, go to like a used shop and buy like a, like an old vintage turntable or something and um, just spend the money on that. Like yeah. you can buy a turntable at Walmart. You shouldn't put records into it. <laughs> yeah i i have my own thoughts about urban outfitters and them somewhat ruining film photography for How people so? i find so i find a lot of people in the past like i've noticed this obviously ever since i got into photography and obviously everybody starts somewhere and there's definitely people like I started I purchased a disposable camera from Walmart at one point I hated it I purchased one but I still got to you know try one out but I find that a lot of people purchase things from Urban Outfitters because they seem like cool and like unique and then everybody's like I'll, I'll say the Instax um, camera, for example, because at one point I remember that was like super popular and like everybody had one. And then I feel like the prices went up for them and like prices went up for film and things like that. And same thing with like Urban Outfitters. Now I'm noticing they have certain film cameras. I think they carry like, I don't know if it's Lomography or something like that. I know they carry like disposable ones for sure. And it kind of sucks because it's like, oh, people will use it and then prices will go up for everybody in the photography world that actually like sticks with it but for some people it's just like a momentary cool thing to do and to try out but it's something yeah. that they'll just like throw out but it has an impact like it has a lasting impact on people that aren't there just for shits and giggles that are like professional photographers or like more true hobbyists of 
whatever it is. So that's my take on it. Um, I don't hate on anybody, obviously, for like buying those cameras. And I get it. Sometimes it's you don't know where to start. Sometimes you need to pick up something or like you just really want something and whatever it is. But that's sort of my take on it. I'd always rather, even when starting with photography, I, it was, you know, I'd always rather research it than get like a random disposable camera and call it a day or like carry on with that. But yeah, yeah, we, uh, Urban Outfitters is still a thing. It sure is. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel, I have similar feels to that, but on the same token, there is a bit of me that is glad <clears throat> that people are still buying things because it means that it'll encourage companies to still continue to make film and hopefully we'll see more development of new cameras because I've talked about this with like other guests and stuff before is it's great that we have lots of options for film but the unfortunate thing is we don't have lots of options for cameras because um, there's not too many people making brand new cameras beyond like disposable or reusable cameras. Like, um, you know, you can't go buy a brand new SLR right now. Um, you know, the, I think it's like Leica might be one of the last like actual makers of like a brand new 35 millimeter film camera right now like because nikon discontinued the f6 in i think 2019 or yeah 2019 they discontinued it so mm -hmm. like I, I hope that the continued popularity of film will encourage other companies to um you know make new cameras because as waster of silver says i doubt we'll ever run out of used cameras in the market for people who want them i to some extent i agree with that but from another well, if they break and you can't fix them or you the choose thing, not like, to fix it it depends on the type of cameras because yeah. it's like or, like we'll probably never run out of point and shoot cameras there will be there's so many point and shoot cameras that, that are out there we won't run of those, but um, some of the SLR cameras and, and some of the more like unique and, and interesting cameras, there's only a finite amount of those cameras that are out there. And, um, you know, any of them that are, um, you know, in, in working condition when they break, like, you know, some of them are getting scavenged for parts um, or they've just been like stored improperly or something like, you know, someone left the batteries in an F100 and threw it in a shelf and, you know, it, it rotted it out. And so it's just like functioning the rest of the camera is good, but battery acid ate the important parts of it. So mm -hmm. like that's, that's kind of a, a sad part of that, but who knows? Um, Cause I doubt nothing new, not worth the money to, yeah. And like that, that is a big thing. Like the, the cost to yeah. in like a, a really like, you know, prosumer level film camera, it's probably just too, too expensive to do that. And like, that was a, a, something that one of my guests commented on a couple of years or not a couple, a couple months ago was um, shutters are like one of the biggest problems with, um, 
looking at, at making a, a new like SLR or something is because no one really knows how to make shutters properly anymore. And like, that's kind of a, a scary thing to think about. And like, I've, I've talked about this in like my regular work, but also with just like other industry friends and stuff is that even though we're expanding all this technology and we're able to do all these like really cool and amazing things with like future tech, we're losing skills that uh, previously existed and the ability to create products and things that previously previously existed because it's not something that's really compatible with like this new digital world that we're on where everything um, is, it's not necessarily about quality, but it's about making them cheap and making them quick kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, there was like a, an article a friend was telling me about where it's even like, the dexterity of, of people's ability is starting to wane right now where some researchers are starting to get worried that there may be like future generations of people that may not have the dexterity to do things like brain surgery and, and things like that because um, we don't have to use our hands as much as we did before. Like we're not mm-hmm. writing as much and uh, we're not, um, you know, engaging our, our hands as much outside of like, you know, typing on a phone or like typing on a keyboard kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting to think about like, you know, what kind of world we're, we're heading into yeah. right now. It's an interesting topic to think about and discuss because I agree. I work with kids a lot and I've worked with kids for many years and it's interesting to see I guess like it's a matter of like parent choices, whether like you see some kids that spend a lot of time on phones, iPads, whatever, and versus kids that don't spend that much time or whether it's more regulated, I guess, at home and the difference between those kids because some kids, it it truly makes me sad when they're like glued to their devices and it's, you know, they're like five, four years old and they're like, oh my God, I need my iPad or like, I'm gonna die like they'll be fine you know people people lived without them and people had great childhoods without them Um, exactly but yeah the motor skills are definitely changing and they're I don't know it's interesting to see where they will go because we are going more towards that like touchpad kind of world but I read somewhere recently a couple of days ago that Mercedes is thinking about coming out with a car that will drive based on your thoughts. Uh-oh. Or like, I have no idea that that interests me a lot because is it just a matter of you saying, I want to go to this location, the car just kind of automatically drives you there or do you have full control of it? But it may be sad truly because that takes away the entire aspect of driving and enjoying driving and, everything that comes with it but I, I think I agree with uh sorry waste waster of silver we are we are getting dumber like we're getting smarter and we're discovering more things but I think in a lot of ways we're kind <laughs> of generating towards uh, a downward trend in certain areas well, I, I think I share his sentiment there, too. Like, when you said, you know, they're developing cars that drive on thoughts, and he's like, scary, I have some weird thoughts. And I'm like, yeah, I, I do, too. Yeah. And, like, you know, the last thing that should be, like, reading my thoughts and interpreting them is, like, two tons of metal and yeah. glass, like, engine driving. Somewhere. But my my issue with that is, 
like humans just overall you process around 100 thoughts per minute like something like that and how will a car process that because if you're just thinking like whatever you're driving you're not just like huh driving you're like oh that's a cool car that tree looks cool interesting that bump wasn't there last time i drove there what should i eat for breakfast today and like how how is a car going to filter out those other randomly well, generated thoughts and things of that and sort. Then, like, you know, there's there's the thoughts of someone who may struggle with like mental illness and suicidal that ideation. That too, of course. Like, that, like, oh, I screwed up that work email today at Becky. I should just drive into that semi truck, and that like you too. know that, that that like a car shouldn't be able to read those thoughts. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Scary. Oh, and I can't stand that guy. Oh, no, I didn't mean to hit him. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. Or, like, that person drives like an asshole. I wish they would just get off the road, like, and your car makes yeah. that happen. What's good? Yeah. I I disagree <laughs> heavily with all that kind of technology and all those concepts of things coming from your thoughts and being worked by your thoughts because it's just, I guess you're ruining it for yourself because you're not physically moving as much you're not physically doing those things and like you said like the brain surgery aspect it's not like we're not going to need brain surgery in the future yeah. i'm sure we will but who well, knows if we'll be able to do it crazy too because like I, I drive like a 2007 car so there's like no intelligence in my vehicle i i do like the most intelligent thing in my car is me, which is like, you know, good and bad some days. But when I've taken the car into Volvo to have like work done to it, I'll get a loner sometimes. And the, the tech in those things is just, it does like the auto braking. It can do auto steering. It's just like, it's kind of like a, it freaks me out a little bit because I'm like, well, these are all things that people should be paying attention to. And if you can't, pay attention to them maybe you shouldn't be driving but instead of fixing it at the people level they're like oh we'll just make the car smarter so that the people can just be dumber behind the wheel and i don't think that's really the right answer like you know yeah we, we need to be, like educating people more and making sure that people are actually paying attention and not having a reliance on the car because like it also scares the shit out of me sometimes because there's times where it's like you know if you're cutting into corners and you don't see any other cars, like I'll kind of carve into corners a little bit more than you should. Cause it's kind of fun and it's safe. Cause there's no other cars out yeah. there, but when you car with like all this tech, it's like, Oh, you're doing something wrong. And it tries to like correct the wheel. And yeah, it, there's yeah. been a couple of brown pants moments I've had with these like newer cars. Yeah. Uh, we don't have any like two new cars, but I remember my dad runs it out. Uh, Mercedes, a class like one of the little um coupes or whatever and he was like oh this is a nice car like test drive it around the block before i return it and i was taking a snapchat and i was like hey guys look new car and the car started talking back and i just screamed because i didn't expect it because it freaked me out like my car i used to drive an 07 rav4 it was the exact same thing where the most intelligent thing in the car was me and even that's questionable at times but like when the car talks back to you i'm like what the hell this is like it, it's fully responding and that's kind of terrifying but i agree yeah a lot of that technology i think 
makes people a lot lazier and it's like yeah it's convenient but then you start relying on it too much and then you get too lazy and you're just I've been involved in a lot of close calls where people just don't check their blind spots but I can see that little triangle on your mirror and it's lit up because your car senses that there's another car there but you're not even looking at that like you're just you're fully super lazy to do anything about it so it's it's kind of scary to see where technology is going to an extent tying it back to photography a little bit have you ever read about or seen or used any of those like arsenal devices or anything like that where it's like that ai computer that you could plug into the camera where like when you take a photo it'll automatically make it better so you don't have to even think you just like be like i want a picture of that and you take a picture of it and it just automatically makes no, it better. I haven't used that. okay i was just curious your thoughts on that because like i kind of feel the same way about like the car stuff with a thing like that where it's just like that takes all the fun out of it of like, you know, why have like an AI thing do all the work to make the picture better instead of like learning how, how to do that and like, you know, um, being able to to make it myself and, and be like, yeah, I did this. Not just be like, well, I held the thing and I pointed it and pushed a button and then yeah. the computer did the rest. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh. Yeah, it's, I think... I think it takes the fun out of it and just honestly and truly defeats the purpose of things. Because if you're driving, yeah, obviously not every car is made to, you know, have fun and drive in, but you should still be in there driving it. You should still be putting some train of thought (laughs) into that. And I think same goes for photography. I think photography started off. Sorry. You should still be present in in that moment. Exactly. And I think for photography, it's the same thing. And I think that ultimately was the reason why I fell in love with film photography, because it really made me stop and slow down for the photos and really put in the effort and just do more work and be more present within the moment to really capture that moment. And a lot of the times it would just be impossible with a digital camera to do something like that. Because again, you get lazy, that technology is there. You can edit it. You can, you know, really make your photo better after And You can still do that with film, but I actually choose just not to edit any of my photos unless it's like a crop and straighten kind of situation. But I think ultimately going into the, more old school ways and shooting manual is also interesting and it really puts a different perspective to photography well so here's here's an interesting thing too with that is um there's a lot of people that have sort of like that that purist approach and in, in mentality of um of things where it's like film is better because like you just take the photo and you don't edit it and it's like it's more pure that way but when you actually look at like you know some of the the great old school photographers out there like you know i'm gonna pick on ansel adams for a minute um not a single one of ansel adams photos was straight out of the camera like all of his work was like he was a darkroom master so Mm -hmm. like in today's time he would be like you know a photoshop master it's like Mm -hmm. 
everything that made an Ansel Adams photo special and, and amazing, that all happened in the darkroom. And like, you know, we, if you look at his actual film photos, they were kind of, eh, like they weren't anything impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would like, you know, brighten them up and make them more interesting and bring them to life in the darkroom. Um, and I think that might be a, a bit of a misnomer that some people don't realize with, um, um, you know, film photography is that um, there isn't wrong with some editing. Like, you know, a lot of the greats did edit their work mm-hmm. and um, it was a big part of the process. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I guess it's up to everybody to do what they prefer and every medium has their own things and I'm not against people editing their photos. I'm not against people just shooting and, you know, posting it straight out of the camera. You have so many different options yeah. for that. I think at the end of the day, it's it's whatever you like and it's whatever, you know, makes you happy and whatever, if you feel like that photo truly, I guess, brings out what you wanted to do then, and what you were hoping to capture, then I think that's what matters the most, I think. With film, I found that personally it was a nice kind of step backwards because I didn't have to edit the photos because I was just mm-hmm. so happy that they captured exactly what I wanted to capture. And it's only ever a matter of like straighten and like cropping things here and there for me. But and that's how I feel about film. Too, yeah. Honestly. I think it's nice to keep it as is, but I think. Yeah, certain photos I, you kind of have to edit if you want to bring out what you were hoping to bring out, and unfortunately just couldn't capture it with the film for whatever reason. But yeah, I think just letting people—it's—it's—it's it's, it's art. I think people should do just whatever they feel best with it, if that's how Absolutely. they want to express themselves. Whether it's editing, not editing, as long as it's. It's bringing out, it's bringing you happiness and it's bringing you joy and it's something that you enjoy doing and it's expressing what you want to express. And I think that's what matters at the end of the day the most. I agree with that a hundred percent. Like it, people should just do what they find like inspiring and interesting and in, in what they're, they're driven to and not have it be criticized on well you didn't do this technique perfectly or you didn't do that it's like well did you have fun and do you like it yeah like you know if if it's yes to both of those questions then who fucking cares if some person on the internet or like guy with cameras like you didn't follow the rules absolutely and yeah exactly exactly that was that was an interesting moment for me and film photography and going from digital to film because when I first started shooting film, so I think I was just really tired of digital and just didn't enjoy it. I wasn't inspired by it at all. And posting photos anywhere just seemed very like terrifying in a way and very like uncomfortable because it's like, Oh, what are people going to say? What if someone comments this? What if someone comments that? And this was like, university time and it just felt like kind of scary to post anything at the moment 
And then when I started shooting film, the first few roles I ever got, I just had them printed. And I'm pretty sure I'm stupid enough to have asked them to destroy the negatives because I didn't realize that you could get them like rescanned and reprinted or put into digital. Um, and that's how I did film photography for the first bit. It was just physical photos. And then I realized I don't have space to keep all the photos. So mm. I slowly went into digital and then for about two years, like I'd send my friends their photos, whether it was like their car or portrait, anything like that. And like my close friend group, I do like a little photo dump in our group chat whenever, you know, I'd get a photo back from our time hanging out together. And I'd show my photos to people and some people were like, oh, you should start like an account. You should post this somewhere. And it was always this like terrifying idea. And I've never, I've never had like a traumatic experience of anyone being like, this is horrible. Your work is shit. Like you're a horrible artist. But I think like something in the back of my head was always like, oh, maybe it's not good enough to post and maybe this, maybe that. And then eventually, like even when we met in Vancouver, I didn't even have this account. And eventually I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm just going to start it. I'm just going to post whatever I can and whatever I want to and it's been a nice experience it's nice not like not a lot of people know about it it's just my close friends but it's still nice to like have that ability to just express myself and it's like I don't care how many likes I get I don't care how many followers I have it's just me sharing what I shoot if someone likes it then amazing if people don't then that's fine too well and that's that's such an important way to look at it because like I, I was having dinner with um, this random dude that I just met through a friend recently and um, he shoots film and he's driving across Canada right now from like New Brunswick to he's like in Tofino right now. And my friend's like, Oh, you need to meet this guy. He's like this film shooter. And like, you know, he's, he does really cool stuff. And I look on his Instagram and there's like, not a single thing of film on there and when we were having food he was like talking about like how much he shoots and like you know how how much he loves it and I was like well you haven't shared any of it though like you know you, there's none like it doesn't seem like you shoot any film but like he's like yeah I shoot film like every day he's like but none of it's good enough to share and I was just like well, why like why why do you think that he's like well it's, it's not good enough yet and I'm like well, do you like any of them? He's like, yeah, I love a lot of them. It's like, okay. And like, you enjoy doing it. He's like, yeah. Then why isn't it good enough? He's like, are you comparing yourself to other people? He's like, no, I'm not comparing myself to other people. But then we start talking more. And it's like, he's totally comparing himself to other people. And I was like, you know, it'd be even bigger shame of like, if you were to, like, if you just opened up an Instagram and started sharing your stuff right now, and, like, it didn't really hit, and, like, you know, whatever, like, you know, people didn't really like, you know, it would be a bigger shame, though, than that, is if you, like, got hit by a bus on this road trip, and you died, and no one ever got to see anything that you ever created, and it just, like, died with you. Mm -hmm. Like, how much would that suck? And he was like, yeah. If my, like, he's like, if, if I did die and my mom, like, opened up my Lightroom, she would be blown away by this stuff that I've taken. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, if you feel that, like, she'd be blown away by it, then why don't you think other people would? Like, you know. Exactly. Give it a shot. You know? 
Well, hopefully he posts some of his work. It's it, it, it's tough, I find, being an artist, even as, a, as somebody doing it for a hobby. And I think I experienced, like, the same thing when I was a kid and I used to paint and I went to, like, a um, sort of, like, an art school, like, art classes. And I remember looking at other people's work and I was like, huh, like, my work sucks so much co compared to other people. But it was like, I have fun doing it, though. So I guess that's a plus. And ultimately, that was one of the reasons why I stepped away from drawing and painting and everything like that. Because I was like, my work just sucks. And I just felt like uninspired to do it. Yeah. And it was a similar thing that I experienced with photography. And I think ultimately, a lot of people experience that. But having that in the back of your head, knowing that you're just sharing what you're enjoying and it, you know it's not meant to be for everybody and that's fine and whoever likes it likes it and you know you have your own little following and people like your photos and you're like oh that's so nice I appreciate that you like my work I don't care if you're my third like or like my I don't know three thousand and third like but it's nice like you appreciate my work and I appreciate you for appreciating my work I guess yeah exactly it's a it's a nice feeling but it's it's a tough thing I think it's a tough block to overcome for a lot of people and yeah <laughs> it's not it really easy. Is, yeah. but the thing that's nice is like you mentioned earlier the film community is such an open and welcoming community that you know if, if you're going to take a chance take a risk anywhere this is this is the place to do it I agree I completely agree <clears throat> I think people are just very very kind and very polite within the community obviously you get some people here and there that are you know they think they're up here and everybody else is below them and that's fine that's their own perspective on things but yeah, it's it's a great community where people are just so so like happy to share their knowledge and not in a way where it's like, oh, you suck, you shouldn't be doing this, you should be doing that, I know better because I've shot for a longer period of time than you. It's like, hey, there's this, and you could also try this, and you could try that. I actually like this method, but you can choose whatever option works best for you. And it's nice to, like, have that mindset within a community. It's very different from other, I guess, communities. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a very cool community, and I'm glad you're part of it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it was it was awesome meeting you. It was super like unexpected at Othello Tunnels yeah. because it's not it's not common that I have people like realizing what camera I have. And it was so unique because I've followed Northern Film Collective for about a year already and I've known about it. And when you said that I was like, Holy shit, this is insane. <laughs> like it was such a like random like place and time kind of meeting but it was like very like wow what the fuck like that was so unexpected so you're gonna submit some photos for this year for sure i'd love to <laughs> uh, be great to have you in the book yeah i would it would honestly mean the world to me to be part of something like that because again like i said i never shared my work and i was always i enjoyed it being a private thing and like my own kind of little world um but it's nice to be able to share with people now and a like-minded community that's so great so i'm definitely excited to submit 
what some of my work. One of your, your family and friends will have the opportunity to buy a book and like have you. Yeah. For, yeah. for eternity. I'm trying to force my mom to get some photos of mine printed and put her around the house and I'm like don't you just love your daughter enough to post her work everywhere and have like a gallery at home and she's like <laughs> we'll figure it out later. Just get downtown camera does a really go, good job of printing and their print costs are cheap so you should just pick some of your favorite ones get them printed and then just just put them put around. Them I wanted to yeah, exactly. do that in my, like, in my area as well. Just kind of have a collection of my favorite photos. But I'm like, Mom, why don't you just want my best work around the house? I have all these great photos that I could share. I'm like, why do you want a random photo of some, like, shitty flower from Winners when you have, like, all these artworks for me? And she's like, well, I'm just... <laughs> like, you have this raw talent right here, yeah. Mom. I'm like, you have a superstar in the house. Why won't you share my talent with the world? <laughs> I'm a peacock. Let me fly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Well, I hope that you can convince your mother to uh, to finally put up some of your work. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, I started creating a file of some of my favorite personal works, and I hope to create sort of a photography wall and have that in my home to look at. It's amazing. That'd be very cool. It'd be nice to see. Well, it was really nice to meet you also. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Uh, but I do need to uh, to take off here because it's, it's um, supposed to meet a friend for dinner here. But uh, it has been so awesome chatting with you. And if I end up in Toronto anytime soon, once COVID pipes down, I'll definitely let you know. It'd be fun to go shooting. Sounds good. It was a pleasure meeting you too. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk. It was very, very fun and <laughs> exciting. No problem. I hope it's not the last time you get to talk to the film community out there. I um, hope so thank too. You so thank you so much, Merlin. I appreciate it. You have a great night. You too. And thank you everyone for tuning in. I love and appreciate you all. Thank you. Uh, next week, uh, I'm going to have uh, Han Fon um, on here. Um, she's a fantastic portrait photographer from the Bay Area and a bit of a fan favorite that a bunch of you have been uh, you know, bugging me to have on there on the chat. So um, you know, we'll be having her on next week. So looking forward to seeing all you guys next week. And thanks for tuning in tonight. You know, stay safe out there. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Yeah, bye.